Welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy, and in today's episode, we're talking about that experience of having a new baby and then all of a sudden realizing that you have all of these decisions to make. You want to be a good parent, you want to be a good mom, but you have all these decisions and you've now been indoctrinated into this community of parents where unfortunately there's a lot of parent shaming that can happen and judgment and polarization and you're wondering okay what does the science say like what is the right decision here so I'm so excited because in today's episode I have Dr. Tina Payne Bryson on the podcast I was so thrilled when she reached out, and I'm so grateful to get a chance to share my conversation with her with you. She is a New York Times bestselling author. She's a therapist and mom to three. You may have heard of her from her books with Dr. Dan Siegel, Whole Brain Child, and No Drama Discipline, and she recently wrote her first solo book, Bottom Line for Baby, which we're talking about in today's episode to address all of those questions that you might have. And then you might be wondering, what's the science say? Well, guess what? Tina has not only done the research for you, but her whole book is basically a big, gentle invitation into making the decision that is right for your family and your baby, where you can feel empowered to know what the science says while also taking into consideration your specific situation. Now, a quick word about our sponsor for this episode, which is Stork. They have sponsored the postpartum series that I've been sharing recently. Stork is S-T-O-R-Q, and in the prior episodes, you've heard me talk about their clothing line. They have nursing tanks and nursing bras that are made of cotton and super stretchy and comfortable that I wear everywhere. I wear to bed, I wear during the day, I wear to go pick up the kids from school. But they also have a beauty line that I want to talk about. So their beauty line has products like nipple balm that I use after all my breastfeeding sessions to help prevent those dry and cracked nipples that can make breastfeeding uncomfortable sometimes. What I love about their beauty line is that all the ingredients are 100% natural and organic. I'm so thrilled to be partnering with Stork and to have a discount code for you. So if you use the code HOLDINGSPACE, you can get 10% off your first order. If you go to the show notes, you'll find links to my favorite products from their beauty line. Head over to their website and fall in love with the brand just like I have. All right, are you ready to jump into the episode? It's going to be you, me, and Dr. Tina Payne Bryson. Let's get to it. listening to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, mom to three, and I support mamas just like you who want a supported, loving, and rested postpartum so that you can flourish in that first year with baby. In this podcast, I'm sharing my conversations with perinatal experts from around the world and with parents who've been through it. While I hope that this podcast is supportive to you, it is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed health provider. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dive in. 
Tina, thank you so much for making the time to have this conversation with me today. I can't even tell you how excited I am to to be doing this with you. I have read all the books, all the books I had. I had um, your colleague Dan Siegel on the podcast a while back, and it is just such a joy to get a chance to connect with you in this way. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, Cassidy. I'm excited to talk with you. There's, you know, parenting is super hard, and there are more and more things that seem to complicate it. So I love to get to talk about how to help parents feel more confident and relaxed. Okay, well, let's talk about your new book, The Bottom Line for Baby. So you reached out and you sent me a copy. And can I tell you, Tina, like, I'm not even kidding when I say with my first, which was now nine years ago, I remember being with my partner and I was probably crying and emotional and just saying to him, like, can someone just tell me what the right answer is? Like, I was so not prepared for all of the decisions that come in that first year and not just the like sort of burden and load of having to make these big decisions, wanting to make the right ones, right? And being at the end of the day, a good, a good parent and a good mom. But I didn't realize how polarizing these decisions were going to be. It's almost like you have a baby and you get like indoctrinated into this world where it's like, all right, which camp are you going to choose? Are you um, breastfeeding or bottle feeding? Are you vaccinating or not vaccinating? How are you? How are you? What's your sleeping situation? And all, oh my gosh. So not only the decisions, but then also how polarizing it can be. And so you you wrote this book, Bottom Line for Baby, but before we get into it, I want to first hear a little bit of your context. Like what brought you to do the work that you do and what inspired you to write this book? You know, I never thought I would write books. It was never a plan. Um, I wanted to be, from the time I was probably eight years old, I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And I when I was marrying my husband, I was like, I want to stay home. Are you cool with that? You know, that was like almost a yeah. deal breaker for me. Um, my jobs always involved taking care of children. It just was always a passion of mine. And so um, when I got married, we waited six years to have babies so that my husband could finish his dissertation. He's an English professor so that we could afford for me to stay home. But I'm from California and we were living in Texas and Kentucky doing all of our graduate school. Um, And he got a job out here in um, LA, which is my family's from Southern California. So I was super excited. And, you know, I've, we've got this new baby. And, um, when he hit about six months, my husband was like, we can't afford to live here on my salary. So you've (laughs) got to go back to work. And I was like, but that's not the plan. And he's like, yeah, "Yeah, but the plan's not working. (laughs) So I, I basically was like, look, I mean, so my undergraduate degree was in education. I wanted to teach high school English. I did that for a period of time. Um, I always loved teaching because I felt like I wanted to invest in people, that that was what would make my life meaningful. Um, So anyway, we, um, he's like, you, you know, and I was like, okay, well, we've got kids and we're going to have more. So if I'm going to work, I need, um, I need to be a professor because that's the schedule that's going to allow me to be with my family the most. So I have to get a PhD. So give me a minute. I'll do that. And then I'll start. (laughs) Give me a minute. (laughs) So when my oldest was um, 18 months, I started a PhD program and um, I was able to juggle between a neighbor and my husband and my mom and myself. We were able to kind of juggle my class schedule and childcare. Um, And I would read 
you know, journal articles at the zoo on the curb while my husband was showing my son the elephant. And, you know, I just oh my made gosh. it work. Can I, can I just quickly say that I, I needed you when I was making this decision to pursue a PhD because I, unfortunately, the people that were around me, the women that I talked to, the mothers that I talked to who were in academia, they were like, no, if you've already had kids, like if you want to have more, like I was not getting the narrative that like I could make it work. And I went, I went and got my PhD when my daughter was one and I had, I had my son while I was in the program and I needed, it was madness, but like, I actually feel like I was a better mom and a better student because I like all of a sudden my boundaries were super clear because I wasn't, and I wasn't just killing myself at school. I was like, all right, school is school. And then this is my boundary when I'm home. And I feel like it actually served me, but I never heard those stories. So I I wish that I knew you then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I did. And I had a second kid in the program and then I was, um, I had my third like mid dissertation defense you know it's like a lot but um but you know it worked it worked and um so what what was interesting and and I think you know your friends are in academia if you want to go into academia and there's like tons of pressure around tenure track and all of that if you don't want to necessarily do that then um it it can be great so anyway I was one semester into the program with an 18 month old um I was assigned in my group to um, teach about attachment science, which is very different from attachment parenting. Yes. Um, So as I studied attachment science and what mammals do and how they regulate their young's states of stress through um, being close to them and through regulating states of distress through nurturing, um, that made a lot of sense to me. And I was really hungry to learn about the brain. And I, I went to a conference and I heard Dan Siegel speak and I had been a really frustrated grad student because I always want to know the mechanism. Why, you know, if this therapy works for this population, why does that work better for this population? What's the mechanism of change? How does that happen? And when I heard Dan speak about this field of interpersonal neurobiology, I was like, that's my why I understand now I had a, I had a lens to help me make sense of this. And so I finished the PhD program while also studying with Dan um, a few hours a month in this intensive professional study group. And as I was learning this and sitting in LA traffic, we we were learning about um, what kinds of experiences we can provide people to help integrate their brains when they are having problems, right? These were like looking at adults. And I was like, but wait, what kinds of experiences can I provide my children to build and integrate their brains from the beginning? And so I was studying child rearing theory in my PhD program. I was in the trenches parenting and I was learning all this new emerging science about the brain. And I was like, this is revolutionary. Like if parents know what's happening in their child's brain when they're having a tantrum or when they understand that a six month old can't manipulate because they don't have the neural structures to do that. Like this is stuff parents and teachers need to know. And so that's where my life really shifted. And I said, I've got to share this with people. And so that's really where the books came is me applying interpersonal neurobiology in my own life and sharing it with other people. And then I went to Dan and said, Hey, I want to write a book with you and everybody wanted to write a book with Dan, but he loved what I sent him and that's how it happened. Mm. Now the books I've written with him, you know, I'm so proud of the whole brain child, no drama discipline. I still feel so passionate about because I feel like the way we see and respond to kids' behaviors is really outdated. We really need to shift our lens. Most of what we do in the name of discipline is actually counterproductive, making it less likely kids can learn. That's a whole other conversation. And then of course we wrote the yes brain and the power of showing up and the power of showing up is really about that attachment science. You know, what are, what's the, 
what's really the thing we know best predicts how well kids turn out. And that's that secure attachment relationship. And so in that book, we talk about the four S's of helping cultivate that in our kids. So this book is my first solo book. The Bottom Line for Babies is my first solo book. And it's very different from the other books. The other books were way more fun to write, I'll be honest, because they're basically- (laughs) I can imagine. (laughs) They're like, love your kids, okay? Like that's what the books say. Um, This book is over 65 topics. or over 60 topics that where I had to read, I had to read the research on, you know, germs and probiotics and, you know, sleep training. And do you give kids Benadryl on an airplane? Like I had to read all this research. Um, But Tina, that's what we needed, right? Like I can, I can totally, so as somebody who's like been in the trenches with research and stuff, like I was reading this book and I was like, oh my gosh, I can only imagine the amount of time she had to spend in, in, in the trenches with, with this, with research, right? Like, because a lot of times this, these studies, they stay in these academic books and then like they kind of make their way to the general public in different ways and different formats but like what we needed Tina was someone to do that work and then to bring it into something that is easily digestible understandable but also has the like coming from the heart of a parent right to understand how big these decisions are we needed someone to do that but I can only (laughs) imagine all the work that went in it wasn't super fun and fortunately I had a couple of research assistants that helped all that but I'll tell you why I wrote this book and I'm glad I know I'm I'm years away from the baby years. And I'm yeah. glad I waited to write it until now because this is the first this book has been in the back of my mind forever. It, this was the first book I longed for that didn't exist and it still didn't exist. And for a while the book was going to be I mean as a new mom I had that experience you talked about at the beginning where you know, I'm like you, Cassidy, I want the research. I want to know what is, what, you know, what does it say about pacifiers? Is it okay? Is it going to cause nipple confusion? You know, what's the deal? And the more I would read, the more confused I would get because I was reading things that totally contradicted. And then the more people I talked to, the more confused I got even so because they had competing advice and they did want to evangelize about their camp. And there's obviously people want, you know, people are, can get so, um, aggressive and um and actually really mean-spirited around some of these issues because I think it threatens them feeling like they did it the wrong way so they want to make sure everybody else does it their way so they feel more confident about that but this is the the thing is is that we when we have new babies we have so many decisions to make ones we have no idea we even have to make when we're going into it we get competing information and we don't really have time to sort through it all. So I haven't done anything in this book that someone else couldn't go and do. So this, right. you know, someone else can go and do this research. They might draw a little bit different conclusions on some of the things, but um, I really work to be super objective, which is why in about a third of the entries, I also have um, a section called a note from Tina. So really yeah. the way each entry is laid out is like, what are the competing opinions on this? Like, what are the main schools of thought? What does the science say? And what is the bottom line? And then in about a third, I have a note from me. And this is where I weigh in because I either say, look, I didn't follow this science and here's why, or here's something that the science hasn't looked at that I think is really important. Or sometimes I just tell the story like tummy time was stupid for me. Like my kid's face was just in the carpet. It didn't work. Like, you know, whatever. Um, But I feel like we, the reason that I wanted my goal and, and wish for this book was when a parent needs to make a decision to alphabetically flip to that entry and within just a couple of minutes, get empowered with knowledge and then 
to say I'm conf com confidently making a decision about what I'm going to do for my baby here. And it may or may not even follow the science, but you're, you're being intentional. And right. I really want parents to be empowered also after they're, you know, after they have the knowledge to decide what works best for their family, to trust their baby and to trust themselves. Mm. It, it's impossible to even follow all of the recommendations from the science. Some of them are in conflict with each other. And so we should never, like when we think about this, every decision we make as a parent is not in a vacuum. It is part of a web. So let's say I follow the science that says, mama, make sure you're super well rested so that you're less vulnerable to depression and you have less conflict in your romantic relationship. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's say I do that. Well, that means I'm not going to follow the scientific rec recommendation to feed my baby on demand in those early months. Right. So if I'm going to follow my the scientifically to feed my baby on demand, because that's probably a health, that's a health issue that should, you know, trump the sleep for me, I'm going to do that. Well, it might mean that I'm grumpier during the day with my other kids. And yep. I'm picking on my spouse. And so all of these decisions are part of a web. And so we may even make decisions and have to shift or pivot because they're not working for our family. Mm. Oh, my gosh, Tina. I, so first of all, I was dying laughing when you said, tummy time, my kid's face is just in the carpet. Like, <laughs> this is literally my thing right now with my daughter. I'm like, all right, we got to do tummy time because, you know, like, like, I don't think I did it enough with my other kids. Like, none of them crawled until they, like, were past one years old. And, you know, now, like, they're in occupational therapy. And, like, I wonder if it's because I didn't give them enough tummy time. <laughs> like, so I'm, like, stressing out about giving my, my third baby tummy time. And her face is just in the floor yeah. the whole time. Yeah. And I'm, like, okay, like, are we not – we're clearly not doing it enough. But then at the end of the day, I'm, like, this is – stressing me out and yeah. I kind of just want to do FaceTime with her like she's awake yeah. she's not awake that often I'd rather just like be looking at her and like smiling with her yeah. and doing goo goo gagas with her and also I think that that's also important for like speech development Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and so let's just do that I mean everything like everything you just named and th this is this is this is part of like the mental load, like this invisible load that I think that a lot of new parents carry is trying to just sort of navigate this, these decisions, these decisions that often, yes, feel conflictual too. Like, you know, when it comes to sleep training and these sort of things, these things yeah. that are so polarizing. And like you said, the community of new parenthood can be so aggressive yeah. and shaming and judgmental. And so we're just trying to make the best decisions for ourselves, our babies, and our families. Um, and then we're also trying to navigate feeling judged for all of these decisions right. that we're making that we don't necessarily know the science around. It's like, okay, what is the right answer? Like these both can't be right, right? But then sometimes I think that the answer is it is conflicting, like you said. It is. We well, and to, yeah. We have to remember every baby is different. Every parent is different. Every family is different. And that right. might even be the same kid might be different a month later. Like if you wait for tummy time for two weeks, she might be ready for it, right? right? So I think we have to really, that's part of also trusting development to unfold. I think, you know, it's so obviously it'd be so good if we all approached every human in every moment with with the belief that I have about kids, which is most of the time they're doing the best they can. And I think, you know, 
coming after other parents and stuff, again, I think it, it's, it has a lot to do with um, if you do it a different way, then maybe that means I'm a bad mom. And what I really want to give the message from this book, my favorite thing someone said about this book was hard science and gentle reassurance. Mm, what yeah. I want from this book is for parents to um, really feel like a lot that we worry about is not something we have to worry about so much. But I think if we can approach every human with that idea of we're doing the best we can to really yeah. support each other, that's super important. And I know I said a minute ago, I'm really glad I waited until now to read this, to write this book, um, even though I'm out of the baby phase, it's because now I have perspective. Yeah. And I know you know how different it is, even just eight weeks in, to parent for the third time versus the second time versus the third time. I've raised three kids, oh. my youngest, yeah. my, my kids are all teenagers. And by the way, those those nagging questions and doubts, you know, do I did I not give them enough tummy time? We still those are still present in the teenage years. Is it okay that they're, you know, going out mm -hmm. with that friend? Is it okay if they get in that car? Is it okay if they're in their room yeah. that amount of time? You know, all those questions are still there. Um, but I think the perspective is so important. And it leads back to kind of the the criticism that happens amongst parents, and that is my, um, I had a best friend. We grew up together. We went to college together. We even shared a wedding dress. Um, you know, we like, cause we were getting married within the same window. We're like, Hey, half the price, you know? Um, and we both had babies within a week of each other, our first babies. And she and I were really opposite on a lot of the big decisions. I mean, wow. yeah. really opposite. And it was really interesting for our friendship to have to shift and navigate that. We're still very good friends. Um, but what's really cool now is her baby and my baby are both 20 now and mm -hmm. her, neither one of our kids are perfect, but both of them are super awesome. And so yeah. I think that's the perspective yeah. too, is that when you read, of course, the decisions we're making for our babies are important, but where we come down on the decision is often not as important as we think it is. Yes. So whether yes. or not you breastfeed, whether or not you pierce your baby's ears, whether or not you circumcise your child, whether or not you lick their pacifier clean instead of sanitizing it, like <laughs> all of those things, yes, they're important and they're important to you and they're important to your yeah. child, but they, most of them don't really impact who your child turns out to be. Oh, 100%. So we can yes. just take a breath on that. Yes. So Tina, I, I got on Instagram like two weeks ago and I was, I'm, I'm still very, very much in it postpartum, but I was like, you know, it was still very, very fresh then too. And I got on Instagram and I was like, I just, I wish that I could bottle up the perspective that I have now with this being my third that I did not have with my first. I wish I could bottle it up and yeah. like pass it around to all of, all of the new moms. I wish I could have given it to myself, this perspective yeah. that like, you just don't have that first time. Like I, I remember with the first, like I went into even just birth. I went into birth with a very rigid birth plan of like how this baby was going to come into this world because this was my <laughs> first parenting thing, right? Like it was so rigid, Tina. It was yeah. like, it's going to be a vaginal birth. We're going to have this magical first hour where we're skin to skin. I'm not going to have any pain medications. And then when it all went 
to shit. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, I can laugh about it now, but at the time it was very traumatizing. Um, And, and it ended up being a cesarean. And when they took her out and my husband was like, she's here, look at her. And I couldn't even open my eyes to look at her. Like, and that was from exhaustion, but it was also from shame. And it was from just how traumatizing everything was. And I was in that space. And if I like that, that little girl that was born and I was like in that, that period of time where I was like, I just screwed up this first parenting decision. Like my body is broken. I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't try enough. I wasn't strong enough. If I could, if I could fast forward and get this image of this, of who that girl would turn out to be and how connected and attached we are and how secure she is, I could have just given myself that perspective gosh, I would have, there would have been so, I would have been so, it would have been, it would have lightened the load of like that shame and that trauma and that judgment that I had towards myself, but that I also felt in the community that I was in of mothers. It would have been so, it would have been so, so nice, so great. And then just every decision that came from that point forward, it's like, oh, do you want to give your baby a bath here in the hospital? Right. And I'm like, wait, let me Google this for a right. second because I didn't realize this was the decision I had to make. And I'm like, well, oh my gosh, this is all I didn't know. I didn't realize this was such a huge decision that I, and that had so many opinions around it. I know. And, Am I making the right one? And then every decision from that point forward and, and just, and not just, yeah, the decisions, but like we're naming here, like the, the different camps, like which camp are you in? And right. And this, and like these camps are determining based on the judgments that you feel like you're receiving and not just from others, but the own, the own self judgment, right? Like, am I making the right decision is like making this sort of case of if you're a good mom or not. And if I could go back to my postpartum self that for that first time and how much um, pressure I felt to ex- not just breastfeed, but that word exclusive, like exclusively right. breastfeed, you know? And if I can then fast forward to, you know, years later when, you know, my, my child finds a chicken nugget in the back seat that like, right. I don't even know how old it is and they're <laughs> eating it. Or like, you know, I'm like, I'm like begging them to like finish their French fries in order for them to have the ice cream. Right, right. If I could fast forward and see myself then and be like, you know what? If your bo- baby takes a bottle of formula because that's going to help you get more rest and you're going to feel like a human again and, or, you know, whatever the case might be, like if I could just tell myself that like what you feed your baby first is not going to determine the future of their feeding choices you know um gosh that perspective would have been so wonderful and I think would have been so protective against postpartum anxiety at least for me I think that's Um, right I I wish mm -hmm. people I hope people will take the bottom line for baby in their go bags because you are making decisions at the hospital about baby's first bath and that's in here and can I give my kid a pacifier you know those questions are in there but I love what you're saying about you know about your birth experience and even the shame and even grief and loss around your expectations not being met. And I, I super identify with so much of that. 
um, I think our birth experience, well, pregnancy too, but our birth experience and everything that follows is such a life lesson in not in that idea that we are not in control of things. And, you know, if you've ever tried to make your child eliminate, eat, or fall asleep, you know, you're not in control of them. Truly, (laughs) truly. Um, But I think that it's, you know, parenting is such a constant exercise in giving up control, which is not the same thing as setting boundaries. Of course, we want to set boundaries and, and, you know, we don't want to be permissive parents, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about controlling someone else or controlling our circumstances. It's also a constant lesson in humility And it's a constant lesson in flexibility because I can get really rigid. Um, You know, I was super, um, I, you know, I, I nursed my kids for longer and longer with each child. Um, I, I loved breastfeeding. It was really fricking hard. I almost gave it up several times with the first, but I had a friend that just basically would say it's really hard in the beginning, which I didn't know. I didn't know it was going to be hard. No one told me that. Nobody told me. Like I was going to get like, uh, I was going to get mastitis or what mastitis even was. And that I was going to get plugged milk ducts and not to just like keep pumping. And I was getting more plugged ducts. Like nobody, and it was really hard really hard and yeah. it was really hard in the beginning yeah and so when my friend was like it's really hard it's hard for everyone she's like you're just finding your rhythm give it two more weeks you're not allowed to give up for two weeks and in two weeks we'll talk and then we'll see you know and yeah. I was actually in rural Texas with no support at all um I, there weren't any lactation specialists or anything like that but um but I stuck with it and it was amazing and I loved nursing all three of my kids um so I'm no one send me a message saying I'm anti-breastfeeding because what I say in the book is that, yes, you know, there are multiple health benefits for parents and for babies. And if you have the option to breastfeed, do it. But if you can't or it doesn't work for you, that doesn't mean you're not a great parent. And, you know, like I think about, you know, I have a friend who wanted to breastfeed. Her milk supply was so low, but she was spending so many hours pumping that she wasn't interacting with her baby. So she was a better parent for not breastfeeding. And I, you know, I was super rigid. My third baby was jaundiced in, um, in the hospital. I was like, my milk's going to come in. It'll be fine. I've done this a million, million, million months. Like this will be fine. But my milk didn't come in fast enough. And my baby was getting more and more jaundiced. And I was like, no, you can't give him formula. I was so rigid about it. Well, Mm -hmm. he ended up having to be hospitalized and it was awful. It was traumatic for me. Um, we spent the postpartum days, where he was supposed to lie in a box where I couldn't hold him. And I was like having to, like, it was just awful. Had I not been so rigid, had I had this book, had I known the research that if you supplement, especially in those early days to try until your milk comes in, it doesn't, it doesn't ruin breastfeeding, right? Like I didn't know any of that. And so it can actually help with breastfeeding. It can actually As a mom to three, my partner and I find that one of the biggest struggles we have faced in our relationship is navigating sharing responsibilities and the mental load. And I know that we're not alone because this shows up with all of my clients and in every podcast episode, the mental load of parenting shows up in some way or another. Enter the scene, coexist 
Coexist is the app that's revolutionizing how couples manage the mental load of household tasks and childcare. It's like having a personal assistant right in your pocket, helping you and your partner effortlessly share tasks, plan meals, collaborate on lists, and even give each other kudos along the way. Here's the cherry on top. For my amazing community, Coexist is offering an exclusive deal. Sign up for a two-week free trial before June 15th, and you'll get 15% off the annual plan on iOS with the code DrCassidy15. So what are you waiting for? Really, take that first step towards a more harmonious home life today. Download Coexist on Android or iOS at getcoexist.com. The load in our home has been feeling a little bit lighter since downloading Coexist, and yours can feel lighter too when you download the Coexist app at getcoexist.com. Since becoming a parent and as I've gotten older, I've become a lot more mindful of the supplements and products that I use, and that's why I love Puri. These are natural food supplements that I trust completely. Let's talk a bit about collagen. So collagen is so important for our bodies, but our natural production of it slows as we get older, so I've learned, and quality supplements support our muscle, bone, and joint health. Recently, I've been taking Puri's CP1 Pure Collagen Peptides. It was number one out of 28 collagens tested by the Organic Consumers Association and Clean Label Project. There are enough hard decisions that we make every day as parents, and this makes Puri an easy choice. See and feel the difference with Puri. I know you'll love their supplements as much as I do. Puri is offering my listeners an amazing deal, 20% off site-wide. Just go to my special URL, puri.com backslash Dr. Cassidy, and use my promo code Dr. Cassidy. So go to P-U-O-R-I.com slash Dr. Cassidy. Don't miss out. Use promo code Dr. Cassidy at puri.com backslash Dr. Cassidy. So I think it would have been really helpful. I think based on everything we've been saying, one of the most important messages I think in this book, besides there is a bottom line of the bottom line, which is the most important thing is that um, your baby um, has repeated but not perfect experiences of knowing mm. that you will see and respond to their needs and show up for them. That's that, And that's really what the power of showing up book with Dan is really all yeah. about too and building that trust and you meeting their needs so that they get wired in their brain that when I have a need, these people show up for me. That's the most important thing. But I think my other big, big message from this book is there are many, many ways to be a really great parent. Mm. And yeah, I think that's really important. And so if you don't do what all your neighbors are doing, or maybe you're in an, you're in a, you know, earthy, crunchy kind of natural you know, childhood free range kind of community in your preschool and you're hiding that you're sneaking in formula, you know, because you don't feel like you will be accepted. Like know in your heart that you are a great parent, no matter what you decide about these decisions, it doesn't, these decisions do not make or break the quality of your parenting. They just don't. I mean, I'm just hearing you say this, Tina, like it's, and also just cause I'm so in it right now, and I'm, but like, it's making me, it's making me emotional thinking about my first and just like how 
how overwhelmed I was with the decisions and feeling like, and I'm just thinking about all of the new parents out there who are, it's this, it's their first and they're in it right now. And maybe they're listening to this, like how much I needed somebody to say that. And I really, for me, I really wanted it to be as somebody who knew the science, right? Like, cause I think I was hearing, I was hearing that from a lot of people, like my, my, my mom who was really supportive and you know some my partner who was really supportive of like any decision that we make it's going to be okay but I was I was kind of indoctrinated into some of these new parent communities where I felt like if I made the wrong decision I was a bad parent and I was going to be judged um and there was my own little inner inner critic that that came along the ride for me too that was just part of me and my own sort of self-judgment of these decisions. But I really needed someone to tell me that it was going to be okay, that it was okay to make the, 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 the decision that felt right for my family, and that it was a web of decisions. And just because this person is doing it this way doesn't mean it's the right. Like, I think I needed to hear it from somebody who actually knew the research and at the end of the day was still going to tell me, like, you have to make the right decision for your family and every situation and everybody's context is different and every person's baby is different, right? Like, Absolutely. and you have to take all of that into consideration when you're making these decisions. I just, I really, I really hope that if there's a new parent and it's their first time and they're listening to this right now, that they hear what you just said. It's so, it's so important and so protective, I think, when it comes to our mental health, our mood. And you know, at the end of the day, like, is breast milk amazing? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like is, is having a happy parent and somebody who is who is well and able to attune to their needs because they're getting sleep or because they're taking care of their mental health. Yeah. That's also super important, right? Absolutely. Like yeah. And that's why we have to it's it's like back to your birth experience. You know, sometimes yeah. we don't get everything we want. (laughs) And that's really hard when it comes to, you know, our children come out. I mean, obviously my life's work has been dedicated to creating the kinds of experiences that help our children develop optimally, but our children do come out very much who they are. And sometimes even how our child responds, like, you know, I'm, um, I'm a mix of introversion and extroversion, but I love being with people. And I had my firstborn did not, he did not like noise or commotion or a lot of people in the room. And, you know, and, and so, so much of it is about really tuning into our baby's needs, but tuning into our own needs. And we matter too. I'm, parents, you, those of you who are listening, you matter too, because what your child needs from you is a happy parent, you know, a parent that is joyful and engaged, not all the time, but you know, a lot of the time. And so if you're, if you're doing a parenting practice because you think it's the quote unquote right thing to do, or because you're getting pressure to do it, but it's not working for you and it's making you feel resentful and it's taking you and pulling you out of relationship with your child. That's joyful. Mm -hmm. Please feel free to make a shift. It's just really important Um, that we have that freedom. And I think too, so much of this really comes back to, and including the mommy wars, which should be called the parent wars. um, It's all because it matters so much to us. So that's the other thing I try to remember when people come after me um, is to say, 
they care a lot about parenting and they really care, you know, that they feel passionate about this um, because it matters. And, and because raising our children well is probably the most important thing in our entire lives for most people, there's a lot of fear connected to all of these decisions. The problem is when we feel fear, we act on the fear. And a lot of times we are not even aware that that's what's happening. Right. And so we, we live then in this cycle of fear-based parenting as opposed to really being present and being attuned. I mean, when you are really in a fear-based state, your attention is primarily on protecting things from going wrong. Right. But if you're, in a, if you're really focused on your child um, and you, you can feel confident about the decisions you're making, then you can really you're not, the fear isn't what's ruling you. It's your child's needs that are ruling you. And that's so important. And it's so much easier to tune into the need, the needs and everything else that's kind of going on around us when we're not in, when we're able to kind of move out of that fear response, because that fear response gives us that tunnel vision, right? Like the tunnel vision where you're just like hyper-focused on the thing that feels like the threat, you know, but in that space, it's so hard to, to tune into, to tune into the context and all of the other pieces that can come into that way of making that right decision for for your family. And you know, coming when I think about my my very rigid birth plan and that experience that was traumatic and that I did have to get therapy around and like really yeah, process and get help around. But when I think about it, when I think about it, I have and I think about my daughter now. That that child that was part that that I birthed, right? That was part of that experience. And she's at the age now where and because we just had a baby, she's asking about birth and she's asking about her own birth story. And the fact that I was able to share with her like what my experience was and how you know, rigid I was and inflexible and, and, and how challenging it was, my hope is that we can continue to have these conversations and maybe one day if she chooses to have a, a baby that she can – that we her, like I can support her in in not having those same rigid expectations right that it can become the story doesn't just end like okay I had this birth experience that was not what I wanted and I failed her no the story keeps get it I we get to keep writing it right and That's like right. I get to keep writing it with her now and and for me um it kind of feels like repairs, right? Like it's not that like what I, what, what that birth was, was bad or wrong, but it feels like I get to keep working on that experience in becoming her parent and in our relationship that just keeps continuing. It didn't just end with that birth. that didn't turn out how I wanted and that I didn't get to hold her in that first hour. There's so many hours that get to come after that's that, right. you know? That's and right. I think that that's what I think that that's what I I didn't I didn't I didn't I didn't have that perspective and I wish that I could just bottle up that perspective. Yeah. But what I feel like your book is offering especially Tina in those that that one third where you're where you're you're coming in as like that that parent that person that didn't always follow the science and and feels and right like that sort of heart of a parent. I think that's sort of the perspective that you're offering in that book and I think that that's gold. Like that's what that's what I wish that I had. And that's what I wish that any parent who's in it right now for the first time could, could really absorb and take in and hear. Well, I think that we, we have so many fears and we're told that tunnel vision, like you said, when we say like, Oh gosh, if you let the baby sleep with you, they'll never sleep on their own. Like that's just Mm -hmm. not true. A lot of the things that we have fears about 
and that make us feel shame or that we feel unconfident about aren't even true. You know, a lot of the things that we just, you know, the whole idea of, you know, being drawn to your baby and wanting to hold your baby and then people still saying you're going to spoil her if you pick her up. That's just wrong. That's not true. Um, Even now people say, you know, if you, if you reinforce bad behavior with your attention, um, that reinforces the behavior. That's not true. attention is a need we cannot spoil them with attention and if it truly is a need and you can think about this from a you know evolutionary perspective that if you don't have your parents attention the lion might eat you and your parent might not notice so attention really truly is a need it'd be like if when people are like oh she's trying to get your attention that's be like she's trying to get you to feed her you know like it's a need (laughs) and if it's a need and someone doesn't respond to it, you have to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So when we ignore our kids, it actually often amplifies the negative behavior. And behavior is usually communication about something the child needs help with anyway, um, or a skill that needs to be built. But I think that that perspective that you're talking about, that's one of the things I'm really proud about the book too, is there are a lot of things we worry about. And when you read it, you're like, oh, I don't even have to have that worry. That's not even something I need to worry about. And then other things we might not know to think about, like making sure the noise sound machine, like the white noise machine in our baby's rooms isn't too loud. And we can check that really easily um, by measuring the decibels using a sound app um, in our phone. Um, And then you can just cross that worry off. So I think pulling us out of um, fear more into confidence based on knowledge. Cause you're right. Like if someone's like, it doesn't matter. Like your baby will be fine no matter what. I wouldn't believe any of that either. I needed to read nope. the science. <laughs> <You> um, <do. laughs> and, uh, but I think the other thing too, that I'm hoping is that it will give parents some confidence around um, tuning out and shutting off even the, the voices of people who are criticizing or who are not, you know, not supportive of their decisions. I'm hoping that, wow. you know, you can even hand the book to your mom and be like, look, mom, read this section on germs. It's fine that I lick the pacifier clean. It's going to have her have less eczema and allergies if I don't over sanitize her environment. But yeah. I think too, that, you know, just having the confidence to move forward, it also gives you, for me, it would give me the confidence to set boundaries I needed to set with other people because I'm a people pleaser. And so I think if I'm armed with the knowledge, I can say, you know, I'm confident in my decision and not feel so like, well, maybe she's right. Maybe I am doing it wrong. What if I'm, what if I'm doing it wrong? And there's all of that. But when we have that confidence, it's much easier to set the boundary. And, you know, I think a good thing to say to a parent or a friend who is, you know, giving you grief about your decision is to say, I love that you care so much about Mm -hmm. this child and that you care so much about me. Um, I've made my decision about this and I feel confident. I'm not going to change my mind about it, but I, I really love that you care so much and thank you for your input. So it doesn't have to be a war. You know, I, um, I, I use a version of that phrasing when I set boundaries with my kids too, is I hear what you're saying. I understand you want that, but I've, made a decision and I'm not changing my mind. And if you, if you need to be sad about that decision, I'm right here with you while you're upset about it. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, we can, we can, it's a similar setting, sometimes setting boundaries with adults is very similar to setting boundaries with our children. Yeah. Um, I mean, as you're saying that, I'm just thinking about my six-year-old last night who just really wanted to play on his iPad when it was bedtime. And I was like, this is the boundary. And he lost his mind because he was over, he was so tired. And the, so I'm literally like holding him 
him and hugging him and kissing him and comforting him about the thing that I'm not letting him do. And he's right. like receiving it, you know, he's like this. It's like, yeah, this sucks. I get it. And like, I'm going to hug you through this, but we're not going to change the decision. I, you know, and I'm, I'm talking and I love, about, oh, go ahead. I, also, I love that you're also saying we can do the same thing with other people that we love in our life, right? Or that love us, that care yeah. about us, care about our child. And we can use that same sort of almost like parenting, um, parenting tactic with, with them, right? Because we, we want, we want this person to know what the boundary is and we can do it. We can set it in a loving way um, and uphold it while also acknowledging that they may have feelings about it. But like, this is, this is still the boundary that, that we've right. made and the decision we've made. Because it's your baby and your family, and you are the best expert on your baby and yourself and your and your family. I, I love your um, bedtime iPad story, and it brings up such an important point to think about with our babies as well. And that is when I realized, and I, I, I often talk about this when I'm talking about the power of showing up and helping our kids feel safe, seen, soothed, and secure, mm-hmm. is that once I realized as a parent that when my child was falling apart, when something really difficult was going on, like true adversity, or my child was internally having big diverse adversity, even if it was really just that the fish, the tail broke off the goldfish cracker. It wasn't, you know, true <laughs> adversity, but internally it was a big thing for my kids. So um, that in those moments, it was incredibly liberating once I came to the place where I could understand that I didn't have to fix it. I didn't have Mm. to um, change my boundary or change my mind about something. Mm -hmm. You know, my kid wants to stay up later and I'm holding the boundary because I know he needs sleep and he's melting down because he wants to stay up later. And if I, if I can say, this is so hard, you're feeling really disappointed and I'm with you while you are feeling disappointed. If you Mm -hmm. need to cry for a while, I'm just right here with you. I didn't have to change my boundary. I didn't have to distract him. I didn't have to throw threats like, fine, if you're going to cry, we don't have time for stories. I didn't have to do anything but be present to his feelings. So we can say no to a behavior while we're saying yes to our child's emotional experience and yes to saying at your worst, I will be here for you. Mm -hmm. And what's so important about that is and and relates to the baby stuff is that, you know, our babies sometimes have to have vaccines and they, it's painful and we can't, you know, we can't protect them from that pain. Like our babies and our children are going to have moments again, that we cannot control right? that are really hard. And sometimes, right. you know, I have a child with a chronic pain disorder and when he's in pain and he's suffering and I can't do anything, do anything about it, it's excruciating as a parent yeah. to, to go through that. But I think when we hold on to this, it can help us so much. And the this is what builds resilience is not protecting children from difficult things. That makes mm-hmm. them fragile. Mm-hmm. The difference between dealing with difficult things and it making us fragile versus making us resilient is this. When children deal with hard things and difficult things and big feelings and not getting things their way and all of those things, and we show up with enough support, that's how they build resilience. So resilience is having difficult things happen with enough support. Mm. Because when that happens, our child is like, wow, I can handle hard things. Like when I feel disappointment or grief or sadness or anger, that is really unpleasant. But now I've had lots of experiences with support that keep me from completely losing my mind or I lose my mind and then my parents still there for me. 
I know I can handle that. I can handle big, hard feelings. I can handle difficult things. And my people show up for me so that they, to give me that additional support. So even when our babies, you know, are having, um, you know, difficult things happen that, that maybe, so I guess, let me say it this way. Yes, of course, shots that are painful, but even if we do things as parents where we're trying to do the best, like we're trying to potty train, but we're really frustrated and we're, we are short tempered. Um, and then we make a repair with our child, like even those parental mess ups, or even those times where we are misattuned, or maybe we make a decision and later we go, gosh, that probably wasn't the right decision for that kid at that time in their development. All of those things, we can actually say those experiences, because I was present and I showed up for my kid and I loved them to to my best capacity, yeah. those mistakes I made are even part of their resilience building. And yeah. so we don't have to sit in shame. We can say, yeah, I have given them the most important thing they need to be resilient. We have hard, hard things difficult things, not perfect things happen, but that's is part of my child's resilience building. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's, it's, it's so, everything you just said is so important because the the world is not going to be perfect, right? Like the world is not going to be perfectly attuned to their needs at all moments. And I, 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 I mean, when you speak to the shame of like feeling like there's just something wrong with me that I reacted to my baby this way or to my child this way, I mean, I know that I have sat and swirled in that shame for many, many times. But because I have, I mean, I've read No Drama Discipline, Whole Brain Child, like I, I really soaked in all of this stuff. And so if anybody's listening to this, I'll put links to all of those books in the show notes because they are like my my go-to when it comes to those, those really tough parenting moments and decisions. But now with like my six-year-old and my nine-year-old and like I mess up all the time. I probably apologize, especially right now that I'm right. really not getting a ton of sleep. And it's like, you know, they were home all the time doing e-learning and we, we just spent a lot of time with each other with a lot less um, access to things outside of our home that would like, you know, help us kind of regroup. Um, living in a global pandemic while parenting and having a baby is tough. Like I yeah. would, I've been, I would lose it, right? Like I would have that postpartum like anger or like those moments where I would just snap but the other day I had a moment where I did that and my six-year-old, cause he uses this language. He says, mom, I think you're in the red zone. And I was like, uh. <laughs> yeah. And I, and then my, and then I came back like a little bit later and, and apologized to him. And then I apologized to my nine-year-old. My nine-year-old was like, yeah, I knew you would. Like she knew that I was going to come back and apologize. So like in that moment, she was able to regulate herself enough, even though I wasn't able to like be there and supportive and regulate myself in that moment. She was like, wow, mom is really out of sorts right now. Like, but she was able to do something inside to regulate herself and knew that I was going to apologize later. And like, that, that is like, that's, that is everything to me, right? That like, even yeah. in those moments when I'm screwing up and in, in that moment in my head, I'm like, what are you doing, Cassidy? Stop it. Like, stop it. But I'm not able to, cause I'm just in that, like <laughs> that spiral, you know? Yeah. And it almost like, I just can't get myself out of it to know that like, when I come back and repair that may- maybe in that moment, they were able to know that I was going to do that or regulate themselves a little that's like proof to me that like all those moments of being imperfect were okay. Right. Like it was okay. It was okay. I'm still a good mom. (laughs) You know? 
it is it's almost like you know the first time you have like a massive diaper blowout you know yeah. you're like oh my gosh and it's this big deal and now you're like yeah diaper blowouts happen I mean it's kind of similar <laughs> to your daughter <laughs> watching your stuff blow out right um yeah. but, you know I think, and that's a big thing we talk about the power of showing up too, is that idea that, you know, we are going to have ruptures. We are going to flip our lids and go into the red zone and all of those things because we're humans and our children often kind of amplify our states of threat sometimes (laughs) with, you know, what's coming at us. But as long, so we become unpredictable in that moment. We yell, we're not our typical selves, you know, we're unkind, we're immature, you know, whatever it is. But when we make... Uh, Why do I go there? I get really immature. (laughs) That's my go-to meltdown. Yeah, I get really sarcastic in a cutting way, not in a fun, lighthearted way. Um, No. But then your kid's like, okay, this is, she's unpredictable and she's kind of maybe even scary or mean right now or whatever. But if we consistently go and make the repair and, you know, the language I often use is I'm so sorry I wish I had handled that differently yeah um can I will you forgive me or can I have a do-over or whatever it is and when we make that repair it's exactly what happened with your daughter is that even the unpredictability doesn't feel that unpredictable because they're they're like yeah she's going to come and make a repair and what that mistake or what that mess up moment does is it actually widens our children's window of tolerance, which is one of Dan Siegel's beautiful phrases. It widens our children's window of tolerance for messy relationships. So your daughter now has had enough repeated experiences to say, yeah, sometimes there's conflict in relationships and sometimes we disagree and sometimes it's messy, but we always make things right. So then when there is conflict in a relationship she has when she's older, she doesn't think, oh no, the relationship is over. She's like, yeah, this is something we have to work through. So in a way, those mistakes we make as parents, they really do build resilience. Oh my gosh, 100%. I mean, I... I think that I'm always still working on my window of tolerance. <laughs> like, oh, of that's course. something we that all are. I am continuously working on, you know? And so the, the, the fact, the idea that like we should have that all figured out and be perfectly attuned at all moments is just, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. Like we're, we're human. And I think that one of the gifts of our imperfection that we have to offer is that like, they're going to make mistakes and they're going to, they're going to have blowups and that like when they're doing it, it's not that there's something wrong with them. That's right. They should feel shame around, um, or be sent, you know, be sent to the room and just like come out when you have a smile on your face. Cause I don't want to deal with it. Like it's, you know, it's one of these things where they realize that like their humanness is is okay, right? And like beautiful, yeah. And beautiful. And, and yeah. when we have the expectation that we're gonna be perfect or we that is an absolute invitation to a shame spiral. Yeah. And so we you know, we our expectation should be I'm going to do my best, but I'm going to mess up all the time. And now my kids are going to know I don't, I'm not perfect and I don't expect them to be perfect either. Yeah. And even with what I just said, like there have been times where I have sent my child to the room or I've had my screaming baby like screaming and I, it's like they've been screaming for what feels like hours and I have to just put them down in a safe place and walk away. Like sometimes these moments happen. And then what we're saying here is what's, what's so important is that like, okay, I needed to go and I needed to regulate myself. And then I came back and I repaired. Right. And then I tuned in like, that's, that's the moment that, that really matters. And then after a pause and we have a moment to kind of sit with it for a minute, there's a part two. And I think the part two is curiosity. Mm. So then I think when we have these 
truly act insane as a parent or immature, <laughs> that is actually an invitation. And so I, I really try to go to a place of curiosity because actually curiosity and shame are pretty opposite states. You can't yeah. actually be curious and shame based at the same time. So going to curiosity and asking in, you know, and this, our behaviors are an invitation to ask this important question, which is what was that about for me? Yeah. And, and I, and a, and a part of that is saying, okay, it might be like, I haven't had enough sleep. No one's let me pee by myself for seven weeks and I'm starving. That's what that was about for me. And that's, that's all it is. But it could be that, that it could be something deeper. It could be saying, um, I'm still feeling grief about my birth experience mm. or when my child rejects me and wants the other parent, that does something inside of me that I don't understand. And I need to figure out what that is because it's yeah. going to continue to intrude on who I am as a parent. So sometimes it, it's a, it's a lead to either some exploration that's going to allow us to be free to be the parent we want to be, or it's also an invitation in the moment to say, okay, what is it I need right now? What is getting in the way of me being the parent I want to be? Sleep. Okay, well, I can't really do much about that right now. Or maybe tonight my partner needs to get up and feed the baby, you know, once in the middle of the night so I can be a little more regulated tomorrow or whatever. But it's really yeah. that important check-in of what is it that I need to be the parent I want to be? Um, and as we continue to ask that question with curiosity, not only does it keep it out of sh us out of shame, um, and by the way, when we are feeling shame, that actually gets really in the way of being able to tune into our kids. So we really yeah. want to, to go to this place of curiosity. And then it, it can often be a prompt to do something to care for ourselves that will make us a better parent too. Oh, 100%. You are speaking my love language <laughs> right now. Can I, can I suggest two little quick hacks? I'm not usually a hack person. Give um, me the hacks, yes. But when we, when I've, I've tried a lot of different things, you know, I'm a, I'm a licensed mental health professional. I've worked with a lot of parents. I've parented for over 20 years now. Um, I've tried and have suggested lots of different things to help parents calm themselves down when they get in that red zone state. And there are two things that have consistently been really helpful. So one is, Taking, I know like people talk about taking deep breaths, but I want to be really specific. If you inhale for like a count of five and then you mm -hmm. exhale for a count of seven or eight, it doesn't matter the numbers so much. Don't pass out, like do your breathing, counting, whatever works for you. Right. But the idea is having your exhale longer than your inhale. And if you do that mm -hmm. two or three times, it activates the parasympathetic branch of our nervous system that kind yep. of turns our volume down. So that's really helpful. And sometimes it's really helpful to do that when you have a, a hand on your chest, uh, like a, over your heart and a hand um, yep. right below your belly button with just a little bit of pressure. Or if you're holding a baby, just don't squeeze your baby too hard, but just a little bit of squeeze. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing, which has been revolutionary in some of the clinical work I've done with people, and we talk about this in No Drama, so I know you know this one too, is even if you feel like yelling, you feel like being, you know, unkind, immature, whatever, is to force yourself to sit below your child's eye level, not at, but yes. below your child's oh. eye level in a relaxed posture and try not to say too much because within two to three minutes, um, which I know is forever when you're trying to stay regulated, but it activates a completely different neural network when your body is in a relaxed posture below someone's eye level. So if you're standing over someone and you're, you know, shaking your finger at them and using an aggressive tone of voice, you're actually activating more of your fight circuitry. Yeah. But when you go below eye level in a relaxed posture, you're activating 
totally different circuitry that allows you to get to regulation and empathy and insight. Oh my gosh. And it's good for them too, because they're, yeah. you're, you're not over them in this like posture that they're going to feel threatened by. Like it is, oh, I it's love that. It's super effective too, because it when really we do is. stand over them with that kind of thing, it actually can activate their fight, flight, right. freeze circuitry and right. it pushes them into the red zone. Right. Um, so it actually, and, and this is actually something I learned from a chaplain. She said, the most important thing when I walk into a room to be with someone in their difficult time is that I sit down. That's the most important thing that I do. Mm-hmm. And she said, when I sit down, I communicate, you're important to me. I have time for you. Um, so when we, when our, you know, when our children are older and they walk in the room and we sit down and we push our devices away from us, um, we communicate that. And when our children any at any age, and by the way, this below eye level works on your spouse too, um, is when you sit yeah. down in that posture, you're telling your own brain, I don't need to fight. I, I can be present. There is no threat here. I can handle this. But you're also telling the other person, your child, I'm here. I'm ready to listen. I'm here with you. We are in alignment. I just recorded an episode on postpartum rage a few days ago, and we talked about the the breathing. Um, we talked about like the parasympathetic and sympathetic system um, and how what that can actually turn on and turn off. And so if anybody is listening to this and you've listened to that episode, you're hearing it now for the second time from Tina, like <laughs> try it. I know it's because people are like, yeah, yeah. Therapist telling us try to take it, a deep breath, but like, no, really, really, really do try it. You know what's and funny about it too, half. Cassidy, is that um, because I've done that regularly, like before I would yell or before I would you know, act out, um, I would put my hand on my chest and my hand on my belly. And I would take that, those deep extended exhales and it would not only would it regulate me, but it would also be like the harbinger of doom to my, my children would be like, Oh, she's that mad. We better rein it in. So it kind of like (laughs) gave them a, like a, you know, warning um that that's yeah. where we were <laughs> that's ex- like literally that's exactly what I just what I said in the in the other episode when I, to my guests I was like and the other day when I did this my daughter was like oh okay and it actually for her it actually signaled like all right mom's mom's like getting back down to like earth right now <laughs> like she's gonna yes. she's gonna apologize soon um so yeah it was it's like a signal to to your children and you know it's like it's funny because a lot of times like uh, we'll tell our kids, okay, try taking a deep breath. And if they don't see us doing it, it's like, well, why would I do that? Right. And so if we just model the behavior, like it's, it's show. And then the next time we, we support them and being able to kind of learn some of these skills themselves, it's like, well, I've been seeing you do it. Right. And so we're modeling it and there's so much more likely to do what we do than what we say. And so I, I love both of those hacks. Uh, Tina, thank you so much. Um, bottom line for baby if you're listening please please I'll put a link in the show notes this is the book that I wanted and needed with my first I mean just going over the contents like everything is in here from baby wearing to bathing to bug spray like it is all it is all in here and I I really recommend it and like you said even earlier even if it's one of those things where like you read it you feel empowered yourself but then it's something you can hand to someone else um somebody a parent a grandparent that is like, you know, a part of your baby's life and you're wanting them to understand um, why you're making the decisions you are, you can hand this book to them. And, and if they still don't agree, then, then you take the other, the other supportive advice that Tina offered earlier of just saying, I love how much you love our baby. 
And this is the decision that we've made, right? So thank you, Tina, so much. Where can people find you? Yeah. So my website is tinabryson.com. And the place I'm posting the most right now, the most content, because I'm putting stuff out about pandemic parenting and things like that, um, is on Instagram. And my handle there is Tina Payne Bryson. Wonderful. Tina, thank you so much for taking the time today. It has been such a joy to have this conversation with you. Thank you. Oh, I love talking to you too. And good luck with all your littles. (laughs) Thank you. You've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, you might want to hit that subscribe button to be the first to hear when new episodes air. Looking for more support? I teamed up with a board-certified OBJN to bring you two e-courses for expecting and postpartum parents. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Thank you so much for inviting me into part of your day today. I'm so grateful, and I hope you have a beautiful, wonderful rest of your day. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you.